Hey, Up Community Church, if you're joining me today, it means there's a lot of snow on the ground. And uh, that's what happens in January uh, where we're at. So uh, we wanted to still dig into God's word this morning and, um, and just have a time together. I do want to start out with uh, saying that 2023 was a remarkable year for Hope Community Church. And just to give you a few highlights, you're going to hear more about this later, but just a few highlights of the super cool things that happened that God did through you uh, in 2023. If you remember all the way back at the beginning of the year, we started talking about opportunity to start another church in Concord, New Hampshire. That is right. Concord, New Hampshire. That's a crazy idea, but God worked out all the details. We started that process March 7th of 2023, 68 days later, uh, we were meeting in a school in Concord, New Hampshire on May 14th. That's, that's a, a crazy thing, uh, to have that happen that quick, but it was, uh, it was a, it was a God thing and you were involved in it. We then turned around and, um, launched a biblical counseling center on November 12th of 2023. Uh, that whole process took about 18 months. We developed the whole thing, um, trained counselors, built out the building, launched it. And now we have six counselors. There's people in counseling. There's 12 more counselors in the pipeline. So it's just another miraculous thing that happened in 2023. And then towards the more towards the end of 2023, the process started before that. But we bought and remodeled a building in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, for our campus there and, and, and finished that thing. We started construction in 100 days. Uh, we completed that construction. And so over and over again, you see the hand of God working uh, through you, through Hope Community Church, to make that gospel go far and wide. Um, you gave over $200,000 of missions again this year investments, capital investments in new campuses and new buildings and counseling centers. And it's just a remarkable thing that happened. So I want to say thank you from myself and the team uh, for just being a great church and allowing God to use you in that capacity. People are being discipled, baptized. People are coming to Christ. And, um, and it's just an exciting thing to watch. You will get more detail uh, in an email that will come out uh, at the before the end of the year. So I just wanted to let you know that up front. We're excited about what God is doing through you and through this church in these communities and uh, looking forward to it growing in 2024. But today, uh, on a snowy Sunday, I want to talk to you uh, about hearing God. And we're starting a new conversation called Listen for the Whisper because um, God doesn't shout to us all the time. So we're going to look at... Um, we're going to look at First Kings chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 9 and read a story about a prophet named Elijah. So here we go. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And the, behold, the Lord passed by, and a, and a great strong wind tore the mountains 
and broken in pieces and the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, uh, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now watch this. He says the exact same thing. He said, I have been very zealous very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. So Father, we thank you today for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to speak to us. You continue. Each individual, Lord, you speak to us, and oftentimes it's in silence, it's in a whisper. And we pray, Lord, through these conversations that we'd be able to tune into that whisper. We pray that you change our hearts and minds this morning to hear you and accept what you're saying to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Listen, if you're not familiar with the prophet Elijah, he had an unbelievable career as a prophet, did piles of miracles. It was like a highlight reel. And before, before this happened, uh, it was a highlight reel. Uh, there's a king named Ahab who was, uh, the Bible calls him the worst king ever. It says, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So you wrap up all the kings before this guy that had not followed the, the course that God put in front of and, and the Lord himself is saying, Ahab's worse than all of them put together. So what Ahab does is go out and he marries, uh, he marries a pagan woman named Jezebel. You've probably heard that name before, Jezebel. It's the daughter of the king of the Sidonians and she was a Baal worshiper. So instead of Ahab obeying God, not marrying outside of Israel, he ends up disobeying God all the way, not only marrying the Sidonian woman, but bringing her in and allowing her to change the worship of, of the country. And so she introduces Baal worship, uh, Asherah, all these crazy things that are sending Israel uh, the wrong way. So Elijah is the prophet called uh, to confront this. And so God sends him in front of Ahab and Elijah declares that there's not, it's going to be a drought and it's not going to rain again until the prophet says so. And this is because of the evilness of Ahab and Jezebel. So that drought comes, it affects everybody. It affects, it affects Elijah and God miraculously provides for Elijah with ravens. He feeds him and he is, gets his water from a brook. Well, if, if it's a drought, if it's a real drought, the brook ends up drying up. So Elijah goes to a woman, the Bible calls the widow of Zarephath, and God miraculously provides for the woman and for Elijah. Elijah stays there with her. 
Her son ends up dying. Elijah ends up raising the kid from the dead. I mean, this is a, this is a who's who of power and miracles. It's unbelievable. God sends Elijah back to Ahab to confront him. And, and he ends up getting in a showdown with the prophets of Baal, of the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. Asherah and and they, they're up on the mountain. They set up their, um, their altars. They stack them up. And you can go back and read the story in 1 Kings. And it is a spectacular display of God's power. And Elijah's mocking the other, the 450 prophets of Baal, and they can't call down fire from their God. We know that because there is no Baal God. Elijah pours water everything, digs a moat around the thing, fills it up with water. The whole altar's soaked. The sacrifice is soaked. Everything is soaked. And what happens is he calls down fire from God, and that fire just engulfs everything. Now, after that happens, they chase those 450 prophets of Baal down into a valley. They slaughter all of them. Now, that's an unbelievable victory. The result of that victory is Elijah's tired. Elijah is, for all intents and purposes, depressed. Elijah also finds out that when Ahab goes back to tell Jezebel, Jezebel doesn't say, okay, we give up. She says, hey, um, I'll suffer the same fate of those prophets if by this time tomorrow that, that prophet Elijah is not dead. So now he's got a hit out on him. So he's, he's going from this highlight reel of power and, and, and prophetic power to, to now his life is threatened. He hides under a tree and he asks God to die. He said, I just want to die. I don't want to do this anymore. And God says, hey, go up on the mountain. So he goes up on the mountain and he has this encounter with God that is, we'll get into it, is similar to the encounter Moses has with God back in Exodus. But I want to talk to you at the, on the uh, outset of this thing uh, about something that, uh, that I kind of coined the arrival fallacy. Uh, we've talked about this in leadership uh, settings. Uh, but how many of you struggle with, the, uh, with something when you actually accomplish it? You actually get there to the end of a project or end of a goal and you accomplish it. And it's, it's amazing that it's not as satisfying as the path to get there. This is something I deal with all the time personally. And you realize that all the hard work and you build it up in your mind, build it up in your mind, build it up in your mind. You work, 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 work. And you put everything in place and everything goes smoothly. And then you get to the end and the end is not as enamoring as what you're expecting it to be. It's just not as good. And so there's this dump of emotion at the end and you're, you're, you were just expecting it to be a lot better. And I really think this is where Elijah is. He had worked so hard. He's doing an extremely difficult job confronting uh, a king who's become pagan and in a, in a nation that is dedicated to God. It's God's people. So Elijah has this impossible task, empowered by God, and he's seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. And then he does the ultimate, where he confronts all these prophets. They end up slaughtering them. And you would think, that's the end of the story. Let's clap. That's the last scene of the movie. And yet you find out that he's not super happy about it. He's exhausted. He's, he, he doesn't feel like there's any direction. He feels like he's the only one there. 
it's not a great celebration. You get to the end and you find out, man, I'm the, I feel like I'm the only one doing this. Even though it was a great success, I'm by myself. So success in and of itself, and I think this is so important to talk about being able to hear God because success can cloud the thing. I think success is important. I think we should strive to be successful. But at the end of the day, success by itself is extremely unfulfilling. That's why we keep chasing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So if you can't hear God in the middle of that success, it could be a dangerous circumstance. And so we have a prophet who is by all rights obeying God and still depressed, obeying God and still wishing he wasn't alive. And God's saying, hey, listen, I need to have a conversation with you and I can't do it in this chaos. And so pay attention to the pattern of your life. Are you just chasing that next thing and when you get there, it's not as exciting as you thought it was to be? And then you, then you one up and then you one up and then you one up because that's a, that's a cycle that is hard to, that's hard to break out of and isn't fulfilling. And Elijah has to understand that he has to be able to hear the voice of God in all that chaos. And how do you do it? And what does it look like? This is his mentality. First Kings chapter 19, when God asked him on the mountain, Hey, what are you doing here? He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only. Did you hear that? I'm the only one. I'm the only one left doing this. And they seek my life. And after all this, they seek it to take away. That's 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. And then he says it again. We read it earlier. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. God says, after he hears all the stuff, here's, hey, Elijah, what's going on? Well, this is, I told you what's going on. It's chaos. I'm the only one left. And, and they want to kill me now. What's the point? So along those lines, I started thinking about it this way. When you chase fire, that's what you end up with more of, fire. And, and that's a little bit of my personality. I just go for it, go for it, go for it, go for it. And what I end up with is not peace. It's not rest. It's just more of what I'm chasing. And so I would encourage you to look out the next six months, year, and, and figure out if when you get to the end of what you're chasing, is it going to be as fulfilling as you think? Or are you going to be left sitting there going, man, I'm, I'm the only one left. I've got this twisted perception of what's going on now, and, it's, and, and I'm not dealing with it well. This was Elijah. Think about this. God miraculously delivered Elijah through the fire during the standoff of the prophets of Baal, but God never, he, he never said, that's the only way I'm going to work, Elijah. So here's the important part. Elijah slaughters 450 prophets of Baal, but Jezebel's still alive. Ahab's still alive. And this presents a giant problem for him. Um, I thought I eliminated the enemy, but I didn't eliminate the enemy. And so that thing's still out there. And what God is trying to teach Elijah, I may, I may work this way in this circumstance, but I'm gonna work a different way in another circumstance. And we have to be okay with that. And the only way we can be okay with that is being able to go up on the mountain and have a little peace to hear the voice of God tell us he's going to do something different. And finally, Elijah, Elijah has that. So let me say this. When you are, when, when people like me and I'm sure a lot of you out there are constantly chasing it uh, and find yourself just in the chaos of life all the time, um, be careful not to continue that just because we don't want to face reality, just because we don't want to deal with what our real emotions are. So God gives Elijah the fire on the mountain, 
but he discovers God's not in it. That's an important thing. We could be doing, doing, doing good things, good things, and wake up one day and go, well, God's not in that. God's not, it's successful, but I don't know that I heard the voice of God in that thing. And so God gives Elijah the fire, he gives him the wind. He says, he says, listen, I'm still in control of all this stuff, Elijah. Remember when you, remember you called fire down from heaven to defeat the prophets of Baal? I was in control then, and watch this, I'm still in control now. I can call down fire anytime I want. I can make the wind blow anytime I want. I can cause an earthquake anytime I want. But I need you to look past all those things so you can hear my voice. So sometimes we only want to hear God through the big things. Like we say, Lord, if you do this for me. Like I, I can be honest with you. If I was in Elijah's place, I'd be like, Lord, the next thing is you got to kill Ahab and Jezebel. You just got to get rid of them. You just got to get read of them. And then I'll be able to be at peace. But God was trying to show Elijah, you can hear my voice and be at peace without, with them still being here. Well, this, is a, this is a great, this is a German poet. His name's uh, Heinrich Hein. And he, he says it this way. Mine is a most peaceable disposition. My wishes are a humble cottage with a thatched roof, but a good bed. Good food, the freshest milk and butter, flowers before my window, and a few fine trees before my door. And if God wants to make my happiness complete, he will, he, he will, make, he will grant me the joy of seeing some six or seven of my enemies hanging from those trees. Before death, I shall move in my heart, forgive them all the wrong they did me in their lifetime. One must, it is true, forgive one's enemies but not before they have been hanged. <laughs> so that is us a lot of times. That's Elijah. He's going, Lord, you gave me all the success. I defeated the prophets of Baal, but you left my enemies still hanging out there. Why did you do that? Why did you, I'm the only one left. And if you want to put me at perfect peace, get rid of Ahab, get rid of Jezebel, and then I can rest and then I can hear your voice then I can deal with it. And what God's saying is, Contrary to what Hine would say is good peace. God says, if you can hear my voice, you can be at peace and all those people still be alive. You can forgive and they'll all still be alive. I can work in your life and not deal with all your enemies. So Elijah's learning this on the fly. We get the benefit of going back and watching. He's learning it on the fly. He's sitting under a tree going, I wish I was just dead. Then when he gets up on the mountain, God passes by. He says, no, I'm the only one left. And God's going, First of all, that's not true. And second of all, I need you to hear me in this circumstance. And that's what the future depends on. The future doesn't depend on what your next success is. The future doesn't depend on what the next goal is. The future depends on being able to hear God. Because this is a pivotal time in Elijah's life and for the continuancy of the, 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 the office of prophet in Israel and, and also for Elijah to know God was going to deal with Elijah's enemies and, and in reality, the enemies to Israel in the way that he would do it. So watch this. The cave provides something for Elijah that he needs to understand. And this is a key with hearing God's voice and moving into the future. And it's this. The church as a whole has to, has to understand a reverence for the presence of God. 
And, and I know, I know in modern times we do this thing where we're like, oh, you can just tell Jesus whatever you want. You can talk to him however you want to talk to him. It's fine. He understands. I don't know that's true. I think we should be careful. I think we should be reverent. You know, when I was growing up, I was uh, best friends with the pastor's kid of the church I grew up in. And I would be at his house every weekend. No lie. Every weekend. I go, me and his younger son would go fishing every weekend. I'd spend the night at their house. They're just wonderful people. He's a big guy, deep voice. But when he came around, man, I talked different. When he came around, I had a respect and a reverence that I didn't have for other people. And he was the pastor. And I just thought that's what the, the way you did it. And so what Elijah is fine, what we're seeing in this picture is also the same thing we saw in Moses, that there's a reverence required to hear God's voice. God doesn't scream over you. God doesn't scream over you screaming. God doesn't scream over you complaining. God doesn't, God waits until you get quiet. And so what we find is the cave in this story that Elijah goes to, that God calls him to, provides that quietness. God says, I'm going to show you all kinds of chaos out, out here. But when it gets quiet and you quiet yourself, then you'll actually be able to hear me. And so we find it first in Exodus chapter 33. This is Moses. Moses says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. So Moses says, man, I want to see your glory. He was asking God. He had this unbelievable relationship with God to this point. And the Lord, he says, uh, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. He, God's basically saying, I, I'm, I'm, this is going to happen my way. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, the cave there's some scholars think Elijah is now standing in the same cave Moses did. It says, when I, pass, when I pass by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. He's saying, Moses, there's got to be some reverence here. You're not going to look at me. You're not going to just flagrantly be able to look at God and get away with it. He says, then I'll take away my hand. You shall see my back but my face will not be seen. What happens is, in Moses' case, God covers it, and God says, hey, listen, there's a reverence here that you need to have to hear me. And then when we get to Elijah, the same thing happens. It says, when it, be, when it gets quiet, Elijah hears a whisper, and what, is, what happens? Knowing that about Moses, Elijah covers his face and walks out to the mouth of the cave. Is up. I gotta get back to being reverent. I remember being under the tree, complaining, saying, I wish I was dead. Can't believe how God could do this to me. I got to cover my face now. I can't do this. I can't do this. There's a reverence that we have. Even in the midst of great despair, it would benefit, benefit us to be reverent towards God. It really would. So the thing is that God doesn't just leave us out there. God is not... Um, God's not saying, hey, just get over it, Elijah. Now he ends up telling him this. He ends up saying, hey, I know, I've, I've heard you twice now saying you're all by yourself. I've heard you twice say you're super jealous, jealous for the Lord and now you feel like you're all by yourself and so they're still trying to kill you. You made your point. Here's what I want you to do. And the Lord said to him, 
go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. So he's saying, you're not done yet. Go back to where you came from. Go back. There's still work to be done. You're not done here. I'm not done with you. You're not done. You're not the last one. Come on. Let's get our heads back in the game. So he says, go back. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. That's important because he was telling him to anoint a pagan king. God was saying, I'm in control of all this stuff. I'm in control of all this stuff. This is what I want you to do. And then he says, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. He's saying, he's saying, Ahab's not going to be king forever. I've got a plan that you didn't know about. I've got a plan you didn't know about. And then he says, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So then he tells Elijah, listen, I'm not expecting you to do this forever. There's rest for you too. I'm not going to put that pressure on you. There's rest for you too. And then he says this, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He's saying, Elijah, you're definitely not the only one. He's saying, you need to be encouraged right now that you are, you are not and have never been the only one around here that I've got my finger on. And so the whisper showed Elijah that there was a future ministry for him, that Ahab and Jezebel's reign was coming to an end. There was a, and there was a large remnant set aside for God and he was no, in no way alone or finished. But the only way he heard that was to get out of the chaos, get out of the, get out of the arrival uh, fallacy, get out of that thing and be able to hear what the Lord was saying. So I need to ask you this. Is there enough silence in your life? I'm going to tell you something. I, this is a struggle. This is me. That, like, I like the radio playing. I like to be listening. to. Every, but what we found out in Elijah's world is that chaos bred more chaos. And then you start looking for the chaos. Then the chaos starts beating you up. And then you feel like you're all alone. And what he really found out was that God was whispering. He's going up on the mountain. God is covering, he's covering his face and he's realizing, okay, this thing's got to get real quiet before I can even hear the voice of God. So is there enough silence in your life? Is there enough silence in your expectations? Is there enough silence in your despair? Is there enough silence in your victories? Because this, the future this year really does depend on that. It doesn't depend on you uh, getting some word from the Lord. Like, uh, that's really popular at the beginning. This is my word. That's fine if you're going to do that. But I would rather you be able to silence yourself throughout the year and make sure you hear the whisper. Make sure that in the midst of chaos that you can get into a cave, be reverent towards God and let him whisper into your soul so that he can direct your steps. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling that uh, you got more enemies and friends, if you're feeling that, that you're at the end of your rope and there's no more work for you to do, it's time to get in a cave and, and get quiet. It's time to let God talk to you outside of all the chaos and let him encourage you that there's still a future, that there's still things that you need to accomplish and that he's the one that can give you strength to do that. And so that is uh, on a snowy day in January. That's God's word to us today. First Kings chapter 19. Look through it this week, regurgitate it, make sure you're embracing it and make sure you're carving out that space in your life 
for God to whisper into your chaos. And, um, and hopefully you and me and the rest of the, of the church can, um, can get pretty good at that this year. So let me pray for you before we go out. Father, we thank you. Lord, we even thank you for snowy days where we get to sit at home. And, um, and there's something about the snow that makes everything quiet. And so, Lord, we pray we take advantage of today. Pray we take advantage of really a world in chaos. Um, a, our country seems in chaos. And even many lives that are tuning in today can feel like chaos, maybe feel all alone. In the quietness of a snow-filled Sunday, we pray that, Lord, you whisper to us a little bit. Encourage us that we're not alone. Encourage us that you still have a plan for us. Encourage us that you're more than capable of taking care of our adversaries. And today, Lord, we pray that there be a reverence for you, Lord, that we would, uh, we'd be able to sit uh, in silence and hear your voice and be able to thank you for that. Lord, we believe 2024 depends on our ability to do that, to hear you. And so, Lord, we want to start off well. We're going to be fasting and praying through the next three weeks to hear your voice. And we pray that that will continue all through 2024. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, enjoy the rest of the day. We'll see you back here next week.